The Shalene Show is brought to you by the Courageous Confidence Club. Confidence is a strength that can be built and strengthened just like any muscle. You just have to do the right exercises. Your success, your likability, your influence are all determined by your confidence. It's the number one factor in determining your professional success, your happiness in relationships, and your ability to raise self-sufficient children. To feel more confident in social settings, this program is changing lives. I hope you'll check it out. Please visit our website at CourageousConfidenceClub.com. Welcome to The Shalene Show. Shalene is a New York Times bestselling author, celebrity fitness trainer, and obsessed with helping you live your dream life. Let me just say, you're welcome in advance. This guest is so phenomenal, so top-notch. I'm going to try really hard not to oversell her, but this is Dr. Pamela Peek. Interestingly enough, you've heard me talk about her in other episodes. She is a physician. She's internationally recognized as an expert, like the expert, the scientist in the field of nutrition, stress, fitness, and weight loss, especially for those women over 40. She's a three-time New York Times bestselling author. You've seen her on WebMD. You've seen her on the National Body Challenge, in Prevention Magazine, O Magazine, and just about every fitness magazine you can possibly think of. Lifers, your students. So there's three books you must have. Her three books are amazing. The first is Fight Fat After 40. Her second New York Times bestselling book was called Body for Life for Women. But her third book is the one that has me so fascinated. That's just It's going to blow your mind. This is going to be so enlightening. Like for so many of you, this episode is going to be so enlightening for those of you who, for whatever reason, there are just times when you can't stop yourself and you know better and you're not even hungry and you're eating and you've gained all the weight and then you've lost the weight and you gained the weight and you lost the weight. This episode is going to answer your questions from a scientific standpoint. It's really going to help you understand that no matter what diet you find yourself on, it's not going to cure the addiction until you heal your brain. If you haven't already, please be sure to pick up a copy of The Hunger Fix. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my sincere honor to introduce to you a woman who I greatly respect and admire for her confidence, her approach to fitness, her scientific background, and the way that she delivers information in such a way that people can seriously create a recovery plan to deal with their food addiction. Dr. Peek, it is such a pleasure to have you on The Shalene Show. So I wanted to talk to you today about your most recent book, The Hunger Fix. You've had several New York Times bestsellers, like people know you from TV. You are an authority. What was it that motivated you to write The Hunger Fix? You know, my first New York Times bestseller was Fight Fat After 40, because it really used a lot of my the work I did at the National Institutes of Health to look at how stress makes you fat, especially right. after the lovely age of 40 when everything seems to head south. And it does. <laughs> um, then it. in Body for Life for Women, which was my next seminal book, you know, each one of these I'm sort of exploding into brand new science. I said, girlfriends, you know, pitch, pitch the scale. What you want right now more than anything else, right, is you want to be able to look mostly at body composition. Mm-hmm. Um, so who cares what the, what the heck your weight is? Right. Um, what I'm most concerned about is the quality of your body. Now, when I came to the hunger fix, I was talking about something, again, revolutionary. 
and since I'm a physician and a scientist um, and a Pew Foundation scholar in nutrition and metabolism, what I decided to do was just explore something that has absolutely mystified me, and then now we finally have an answer. And that is for years and years in working with men and women alike, um, what I found was that my patients would sound like little junkies. Mm-hmm. I need a fix. I need a hit. You know, uh, getting mm-hmm. off the stuff yeah. is killing me. I can't I have thought, it around. Yeah, man. You know, and I, I, they might as well have been talking about alcohol, drugs. You know, if you walked into the room, you'd have no idea what the heck they were talking about. And there was no way you would have thought they were talking about food. Yeah. And then you bring up the whole food. So all of my expert friends and I would, you know, kind of huddle at annual meetings, you know, in the corner and say, do you think there's something to this? Could it be that these refined processed foods that they, you know, my, my patients and their patients were, you know, uh, consuming and over consuming, could they be affecting the brain in, in a way that was identical, if not parallel, to what happens with drugs and alcohol? Mm-hmm. So we all kind of looked at each other nervously saying, gosh, I wonder if there's something there. Okay, flash forward. Lo and behold, here I am in Bethesda, Maryland, where the National Institutes of Health is. And we have very interesting neighbors here, including Dr. Nora Volkow, V-O-L-K-O-W, who's featured in my book, The Hunger Fix. And she is the director of the National Institute of Drug Abuse and one of the most powerful scientists in the world. And she was the one who led the way with the most groundbreaking new research that showed the answer was yes. Mm-hmm. Refined processed foods, as in refined sugar, table sugar, is equal to, if not more addictive than cocaine, heroin, and morphine. Mm-hmm. We had no idea. We just listened to our poor little patients suffering out there. And, and we were trying desperately to figure out what, what the heck was going on here. And many of us, like myself, just went ahead and treated it like it was a basically a drug. And it worked when I did it that way, sort of a detox recovery program. And this is why I wrote The Hunger Fix, the three-stage detox and recovery plan for overeating and food addiction, because mm-hmm. now I could actually use those words and it was Dr. Volkow who led the way with brain scans, with hot science, all great science. And, you know, when I laid the golden egg in my laboratory with, you know, the stress-fat connection with my first book, the same thing happened. All great science happens when it gets personal. Mm. And so for Dr. Volkow, who's as thin as a reed and runs exactly six miles a day, not seven <laughs> or five, um, you know, she found that that's what she needed to do to be able to calm down something interesting in her. She's a chocoholic. Mm. She can tell you where chocolate is located within a hundred mile radius. And she was fascinated with this as an addiction psychiatrist and scientist. And she thought there's got to be something to this. And then lo and behold, she found what was going on in the brain by using these extraordinary new brain scans that are gorgeous and colorful and amazing and that teach us what goes on in the brain when any kind of addictive behavior is taking place, Hmm. whether you're someone who is now seen, as it were, a food addict, someone Hmm. who has addictive-like eating behaviors, um, or whether you're someone who's got issues with sex addiction or gambling or substance or, you know, alcohol and drugs. 
So were the brain scans basically showing an image of a brain that is an addictive brain and they just happen to be addicted to food, but that same brain scan, that brain might look the same of someone who's addicted to, say, gambling or shopping? Okay. So the brain scan that became the most famous, um, and this is the one I I showed on the Katie Couric show when I launched um, The Hunger Fix, Mm -hmm. Um, what, what it showed was three brains. Mm-hmm. One was normal brain. I don't know that there aren't any more normal brains <laughs> in the world, but we're not even going to go there. Would we say um, healthy? You know what it is. It's a brain that has no addiction. Okay. In other words, uh, this mm. person has no addictive tendencies whatsoever. Mm. So you see that brain. Then you see the brain um, of a drug addict in case, but it could be any kind of addict. Then you see the brain of someone who fulfills criteria for having addictive eating. And that's called the Yale Food Addiction Scale. Mm-hmm. On my website, which is um, drpeeke.com, if you hit food addiction, the first thing that pops up is, hey, take the quiz. This is the Yale Food Addiction Scale, kind of, you know, very abbreviated. So you can see in about two seconds whether or not you've got some issues here. I well, will link to that in our show notes as well. Oh, wonderful. And in my book, I've got the longer version. All right. So that's someone who fulfills criteria. Now, what Dr. Volkol did, which was incredibly innovative, she gave all three individuals right, um, a special injection of a radionucleotide, fancy word for we're going to light up your brain. Um, and what you see is the part of the brain that's lit up is the brain's reward center. Mm. The reward center is, I mean, this is pivotal for our survival. The reward center is just a primal center that says sex and food are cool. I'm going to go with the food thing. It's primal. We mm-hmm. actually have done experiments where we do knockout genes in animals where we can knock out the pleasure um, that's associated with food. What do you think happens to the animal? Well, they die because wow. you see they don't eat. They, they look at you know their best, most delicious food and it looks like a lump of coal. And they're like, whatever. And they don't eat. So you better hope that food is rewarding. But what happened was the food um, industry figured something was going on here with what we now call hyperpalatables, sugary, fatty, salty, refined, mm-hmm. processed food combinations or singly, right? Right. And so they figured that if your brain is, is loving what I call the apple level of reward, Okay. What does that, that mean, apple level? That, that means that paleolithic woman out there mm-hmm. a zillion years ago, right, um, looked at an apple and uh, she said, wow, this is interesting, ate a piece of the apple. It was deliciously rewarding. It tasted great. Oh, my gosh. And so immediately the reward center said, hey, man, if we see another one of those apples, we're doing this again. But the last thing on her mind was, Oh my God, this is so good. I'm going to have 85 apples right now and become an apple head. Mm-hmm. Um, that, it just doesn't work that way because the primal brain just wanted you to be satisfied at mm. a very manageable level of reward. You're finished with the apple. You go off and into the forest and hang out. Okay. Mm. Now, flash forward. We have all these refined, high processed, hyper palatables. I say hyper palatable because an apple is palatable. But the hyperpalatables take your brain to a place it was never supposed to be. Mm. Okay, it takes it way above where it's supposed to be. Now, can you and I have a birthday cake? Of course. Why? It happens once a year. 
can your brain kind of go above the apple level and, and kind of, you know, put out a little bit of brain sweat in the reward center and, and uh, secrete boatloads of that reward chemical dopamine and, and give you that, whoa, that's birthday cake. Yeah, sure it can, but it can't do that 24-7. Right. And this is what we call going to Starbucks <laughs> and, right. and, and, and going to a bakery 24-7. You could score this stuff 24-7. When I read The Hunger Fix, the one piece that I, when I think about addiction and food addiction and the, the food that we describe as hyper- what was the word? Palatable. Palatable. So you're just craving and it's it's very sugary and salty and all these things. Question is, are there those who, the addiction is more than just how palatable the food is. It's the the act. In other words, those people who are like, I am eating healthy. Everything is whole and there's no nothing processed. And But they're still overeating and overeating and overeating so that it's not so much the substance, but the act. Well, it's actually both. Um, because what happens is this, what Dr. Volkow was able to show was that th- when dopamine, um, the, the mm-hmm. pleasure neurotransmitter in the reward center, is actually secreted at its highest levels, you're not eating. You're anticipating eating. Mm. So when you cue and trigger someone, you know, it's like a dog, you know, kind of salivating because he knows he's going to have his little, you know, bowl or whatever. Sure. And, and you're kind of teasing him with that. Okay, that's what's going on. His dopamine's going through the ceiling. The actual eating of it secretes less dopamine. Interesting. Um, and so um, uh, it's, it's actually the cue. Very so interesting. You, okay. Now, let me, let me go back to the brain scan and, and what's going on in the brain then. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're constantly, right, mm-hmm. 24-7 exposed to this hyperpalatable stuff, now, are you going to be someone who has addictive eating behavior? Drugs are available all day long, right? Mm-hmm. There's plenty of codeine out there for people who have, you know, whatever issue they have from a cough to, you know, a break in their bones. But just because it's available doesn't mean everyone becomes a drug addict. Right. Okay. So what's going on with the food thing? Mm-hmm. Guess what we found? Sit down, hold on. This okay. is the biggest. Okay. If you have a history as a woman, and this is Harvard-based study that just came out a year and a half ago, okay. right? Um, from the nurses' study. If you're a woman who has a past history of trauma or abuse, yes. it increases your risk for addictive eating and food addiction by, get this, 90%. Okay. This is fantastic. Oh, I love this. Because you're self-soothing. You're yes, self-soothing. Absolutely. So what's happening is you're in pain. So right. if I'm not someone in pain, if I'm just sort of, you know, everything's nice and life is wonderful and my genetics are looking pretty good and whatever, then, you know, I'll have birthday cake and I'll go, yeah, so who died? And then I'm just going to go out and live my life. Mm-hmm. If I'm someone now who needs to self-soothe mm-hmm. and to numb and to anesthetize myself from pain that I have not yet processed, then, you know, guess what? Your chance of having an issue increases by 90%. Now, there's a broad spectrum of this. There are some people who have kind of like addictive eating light. Okay, mm-hmm. they're, they're going to have it, but, you know, they still are able to maintain, you know, like a size four, size six, whatever. Then there are people on the other end of the spectrum who become full-on compulsive overeaters. And what's interesting is new statistics show that people who have that issue, okay, who become basically obese, anyone who's like 50 pounds or over, that at least 50% of them have a history of trauma or abuse. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and isn't that statistic nearly mirrored, if not even higher, for those who are suffering from another form of eating disorder, meaning anorexia or bulimia? Well, you got to be careful now. You're talking about very different eating disorders, all right? Um, Bulimia is exquisitely associated, and then there's multiple forms of bulimia because there's non-purging and purging. But if you have the full-on bulimia with purging, it's 99% associated with depression. And of course... um, you know, depression also um, is highly implicated in compulsive overeating as well, because I mean, it's not like you're feeling very good about yourself here. So there's a lot of cross-pollination. Got to be careful about anorexia nervosa. I studied this a lot mm-hmm. at the National Institutes of Health. And what we actually find there is a bit of a different mechanism. Mm-hmm. And that is these people have an exquisitely uh, sensitive trigger finger in the stress response in their, in their brain. Mm. And so what ends up happening is that um, they have gone to caloric restriction to the opposite end of the spectrum and their levels of cortisol, which is a stress hormone, are through the ceiling. Mm. Um, and so, but what's also interesting and a unifier of all eating disorders, and get this, the caloric people, caloric restrictors, Many times when they're coming through recovery and now they're like no longer anorectic, they oftentimes flip to bulimia or compulsive overeating. Mm. So what happens is they kind of jump all over the spectrum. Mm -hmm. What's very fascinating is not in the caloric restrictors, but in all the other ones, the bulimics, the compulsive overeaters, get this, there is a 50 to 70% crossover with substance abuse. Yeah, that's my other question. Now, and so this became really interesting to me when I started doing consumer DVDs. But once my DVDs started reaching, you know, like people in other states and other countries, I started getting these letters from women in particular, and some men too, that they would share with me this journey, this history where they would gain the weight and they could lose it all and then gain it all and then lose it all. And the one thing that I, and I saved many of these letters, I have hundreds of them, the ones that had this one piece in common, which was they couldn't break that cycle until they got to the root of why they were doing this to themselves. And, and so I started to see this component, this parallel between doing therapy, like working on your, your trauma. And so many of them were victims, I shouldn't say victims, survivors of childhood sexual abuse or some other really traumatic childhood experience that uh, resulted in addiction, addiction to food and this, you know, cycle of losing and gaining in that the letters I would get once they kind of figured out like, you know, I had to fix myself instead of trying to focus on the scale. And then that became so much easier. So I guess my the question I have for you is for those people who believe they have, at the moment, they've lost the weight. So they think, well, maybe I've cured the addiction. If we were to scan someone's brain who's lost all the weight, they're at their ideal weight, and we scan their brain, would we see a brain that was still looks like an addict's brain? When we look at those three brains, the non-addictive brain, the substance abuse brain, and by the way, sugar is a substance, so I suppose it's substance abuse there too, mm-hmm. Because eating is a process addiction, so it's both. All right, then we look at that third brain. In the normal person, what we see is that dopamine, when we show them something nice, like, you know, a picture of their kid, a sunset, I don't know, something that makes them happy, 
All right, then all of a sudden, whoop, you know, out comes dopamine. And But you see, dopamine can come out till the cows come home, and you will not feel a thing, Shailene. Nothing. I want everyone out there to listen up. Mm. You feel nothing. Don't just think that just because dopamine's being secreted that suddenly you're just like wall-to-wall pleasure. Uh-uh, you're wrong. What mm. happens is, is that dopamine must, must link with its receptor. Okay, and these receptors are all over brain cells. Right? When it when it links with its receptor in the brain, then boom, now you feel reward because the receptor has to make all these little changes in the cell that then spill out to all the rest of the brain. You're like, whoa, here I am. I'm in reward land. Let's go to an addict's brain. In the beginning, the very first time they ever had exposure to any substance, whether it was creme brulee or whether it was, <laughs> you know, cocaine or methamphetamine, didn't matter. Okay. You had a whoa experience. But then what happened is, because maybe you were a vulnerable brain, the trauma, the abuse in the past, and all the rest of it, okay? Um, because you're a vulnerable brain, what happens is then you want more and more and more and more of it. You're trying to self-soothe. Mm. You're using that substance as an anesthetic. You want to escape. It could be alcohol. It could be anything. Now what happens is the brain's like, whoa, wait a minute, man. I was only made for apples. I can't do this for hyperpalatable stuff anymore. You're killing me here. Mm-hmm. So the brain then goes through changes. And the changes you can see on the brain scan, and they are remarkable. If you can imagine, you can see the brain scans on my um, website under brain scans. What you actually see is this. The receptors, because the brain says, oh, my God, she's so overstimulated. We got to decrease stimulation. This is crazy. It's going to kill her. And so what it does is it takes those receptors and it, and it stops making them. And so suddenly, instead of having a trillion receptors, you have a thousand. Because the brain thinks it's doing a great favor for you. It's like, oh, you should feel so much better. You're not overstimulated. Well, unfortunately, the brain didn't realize that what it's actually doing, it just, just set you up for permanent addiction. Wow. Because what it did was it set up tolerance. So now... If I were to have a cupcake, the very first time I had a cupcake and I was a vulnerable brain with a lot of this trauma and, and pain, past pain stuff. If I now, you know, had that cupcake, the very first time it's like, oh my God, I'm going to die and go to heaven. And then you want more and more and more and more. Then what happens is your brain gets acclimated and says, whoa, too much. Takes down those receptors. And now when I have one cupcake, it's like, uh, I feel like I need 20 more before I really kind of feel the first time I had a cupcake because mm, the pleasure's not sense. the same. The pleasure's not the same. So you just set up tolerance. When you look at the brain scan, what you actually see in the reward center of the very first person is a reward center that looks red-orange because all of the dopamine is now linking with the receptor. And when it does, it makes you uh, look at a red-orange. It gives you this beautiful color. Mm. When you look at the, the cocaine abuser and you look at the person who... Um, met criteria for food addiction, what you see is nada. Mm. Okay, you, you see almost no linking with receptors, and all you see is poor little dopamine floating out there. Mm. It's getting secreted, right? But they have no receptors, like a couple little, you know, miserable receptors out there. What you see is a brain that is horrible pain because it is desperately seeking mm-hmm. reward mm-hmm. that it will never, ever Get. And which means that for all you people out there who may be binging, I mean, obviously binging and food addiction are 100% overlap. For people like that 
who never seem to be able to get the period at the end of the sentence, Mm. you won't. Mm. And if you think you're doing this because of pleasure, you're not. You're doing it because of the pain of withdrawal. Yes. Oh, this is great. I get it. I really get it. For those people who, who want to recover, they want to recover from this addiction. What I want to help people understand today is how to make these changes permanent. Because what we know about addiction is that people relapse. You know, that recovery can range, if you look at statistics, anywhere from like 50 to 90% of people who can call themselves recovered eventually relapse. And that's, that's frightening. So what can someone do so that their addiction isn't something they're constantly worried about relapsing? Or is that just the nature of the beast? Excellent question. So what I put together when I wrote The Hunger Fix is a science-based detox and recovery program. And what I, what I mean by that is that food's different than drugs, okay? So if I'm talking about cocaine, you got one choice, darling. You're on the bus, you're off the bus. Right. <laughs> See, so that's true, it. right. I'm not putting you on a moderate dose of cocaine. It just I doesn't still have to eat way. every day. Okay, so when I, when I wrote the book, I took all of that into consideration because food is unique. Mm. Here's what I do. The first thing I ask you to do is tell your true truth. You know, you know, those products, I can't even grace the word food with half the stuff out there, but you know the products are giving you problems. So here's the deal. Ask yourself these two questions prior to touching anything. First question, if I consume this, will I feel loss of control? Second question, if I consume this, Mm. will I feel shame, blame, and guilt? If the answer is yes, to each one of those, and it's usually together. Um, here's what I tell you to say yourself. Whatever's sitting in front of you does not work for you. Mm. Notice I didn't deprive them. I didn't say, oh my God, no, no, no. I just said, you just told me mm-hmm. that the answer was yes and yes. You did, not me. I'm not doing this. Are right? there those individuals, however, that would answer yes to all foods? If you ask no, them those no, questions? Not, okay. No. No, okay. not at all. Mm-hmm. What it usually is, is almost everybody's got a little repertoire of little nasty boys mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it could be anything. It could be bread and butter. <laughs> Mine no. are those pink frosted cookies. They're like there really cheap. Oh, don't even bring them in the house. Well, I'm, you know, I'm one of those cupcake girls. Mm. And which is why, as a joke, you know, I put the cupcake on the cover of my book. Mm. Um, you have no idea what it took to do a, <laughs> a photo shoot for a cupcake. You just have no idea. Um, and especially one with a big chunk out of it because somebody had to chew it. So, no, but really at the end of the day, we all know what it is. And we, we mm-hmm. start identifying. Then what I ask you to do in the book, and I have a whole step-by-step thing on this. I'm not depriving you. I'm asking you to give your brain, the one on that brain scan, time to heal. What does it have to do? It has to grow back the dopamine receptors. It takes weeks Mm. and weeks and months and months for that to happen. Right now, your reward center is impaired and it's gone through organic changes. That's what science has just shown. You have to repair it. Mm. During this time, if you keep re-exposing yourself to the same stuff, what do you think's going to happen? You're just never going to repair the thing and you're always going to be open to binging. So just take whatever that thing is, put it up on a virtual shelf for the time being. We're going to come back and revisit it. I, I challenge all of my wonderful chefs in my centers. You mm-hmm. know, I'm, I'm the senior science advisor to Elements Behavioral Health, the largest addiction network in the country. So I have like, for instance, the center at, in Malibu called um, Vista. Vista Malibu, part of the Promises family up oh, yeah. there in Malibu. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so what I do there is I say to each of my chefs, for every person who shows up at the front door saying, I can't live without my, and then fill in the blank. I said, you offer them no less than three alternatives based upon whole food. And they have to be 50 times, you know, tastier. Mm -hmm. And in each case, they're able to nail it. And so, you know, this is the way you do it. So what I talk about in the book, and I've got tons and tons of food plants recipes, to be able to switch out the false fixes for the healthy fixes. And so what I'm doing is constantly switch, switch, switch. And I'm trying to duke it out in the reward center with all the hyperpalatables out there with stuff that's delicious and tasty and wonderful and satisfying and will kill cravings. All of this is based upon science. That was one of my favorite parts of the book. For those who haven't yet got their hands on a copy, can you describe what you mean by a false fix? Okay, false fix is whatever is a bingeable in your life. And so if you answered yes and yes to the two questions, if I consume this, will I feel loss of control? If I consume this, Will I feel shame, blame, and guilt? Mm -hmm. Guess what, darling? Y'all have a, a false fix there. Mm. And that false fix is a lie. It's like, oh, I'll just watch the word just. It's a four-letter. <laughs> I'll just have a little. Oh, it's just food. Gosh, it's not heroin or something. Mm -hmm. Really? Read the book. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not demonizing anything. I am a scientist. I simply lay it out there. I inform you. I enlighten you. And then I invite you to make a decision that will be life-saving to you. That's all. So that's what a false fix is. It's a bingeable. Um, it's one of those um, addictive substances, and it could be flipping anything, all right? Meanwhile, a healthy fix is what I substitute to be able to take its place. I'll give you an, an example. Sugary soda, right? Everyone's like sucking that down like there's no tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. I want you to go out there, and for 30 bucks, you can buy easily um, a, uh, a fruit infused water diffuser. Okay. So what you're going to do is just go out there to bed, bath, beyond. There's a million places that have these or Costco for that matter. And you get these beautiful dispensers. They could either be a big pitcher or it could be, um, like a beautiful dispenser itself. Glass is, is preferred. And then what you do is you just chop up magnificent fruit. It looks beautiful. Let it float in that water. And darling, you will never be able to keep enough water in there because it's got just mm -hmm. enough natural fruit, um, you know, flavoring, natural, um, you know, overstimulating your reward center level of sweetness. And it just absolutely, you know, satisfies. I've used this with people with the most hardcore addiction. And I'm telling you right now, they ca I can't keep enough water in these dispensers. You see, it's a visual. They look at it. They mm -hmm. see sweet. Mm -hmm. They see something wholesome. It, you know, the whole thing is a beautiful, sensual delight versus some nasty ass thing in a plastic bottle that's all dark colored. And, you know, it's a science. <laughs> it's what I call a science fair project. Yeah. I love the examples that you um, outline in the book. You've got a kid that's sick or you're caring for an elderly parent or you've had a fight with a spouse. And so you're, you know, those are the times where we kind of have to identify that we're searching for a false fix. And, you know, one that's really common for so many women is that glass of wine at night that ends up being a bottle of wine. Speak to that kind of a crossover in terms of an addiction or a false fix. Well, there's no question. You know, when I hear a woman saying, yeah, I do half a bottle of, um, at night, I'd say, girlfriend, sit down. What are you trying to numb? Where mm -hmm. are you going with this? Mm -hmm. You know, what was it about your day that did this to you? 
What, what happened to you? What are you dragging around with you? Look behind you. Oh, that's the 900-pound hefty bag of stuff that you haven't processed. What's going on here? Why is it that you need that to be able to sleep? Not that it's going to give you good sleep. It'll give you the opposite, but whatever. What's going on? Let's get down to the bottom line. Let's lay it on the table. And if it's hard for you to do, if, it, if you're so dissociated from the pain of it all, then you get help. This is where you get a therapist. Yay! And Wait, big it. round of applause. Woo-hoo! Oh, yeah, man. Yes. Um, I mean, I work with therapists. I, I can't not work with therapists because there's some badass stuff going on out there that people are just, you know, it, it's happened to a million years ago, and then they, they, they've put it in some kind of a file cabinet, <laughs> shoved it in, you know, and they don't want to face it until, guess what? something reignites it at some point in their life, and then you need to self-soothe again. This is one of the major reasons why people constantly put on more and more weight, and they also cross-addict to other substances that are, and I quote, perfectly legal highs. Mm-hmm. Hey, anybody mm-hmm. could buy a bottle of wine. Anybody could buy, you know, a family size, you know, birthday cake and eat the whole damn thing. <laughs> I mean, no one's going to um, arrest you for any of this stuff. It's not like you're robbing a bank or stealing from your mother, you know, but it's on the same level this because is- at the end of the day, you know, something is completely out of balance here and you're struggling and it's a terror. And losing that weight, you know, everyone thinks, well, gosh, if I just, if I hit my ideal weight, that doesn't make that pain no, no, go away. So I'm so glad you said that. We've covered so much. I want to respect your time. Um, and I didn't ask you this before we started today, but if people visit your website, can they pick up your other books there as well? Absolutely. You can, you'll see all of my books, Fight Fat After 40, Body for Life for Women, as well as The Hunger Fix. And then, you know, whatever you do, make sure to Hop on over and ask me personal questions on my Facebook. Just go to Dr. Pam Peek, P-E-E-K-E, like me. God, I sound like one of those commercials. Um, (laughs) You know, just like me and then hit me with a message. I got this one particular issue and Mm. I'm more than happy to help you. And the same thing with my Twitter. My Twitter handle is Pam Peek, M-D, because I'm always there for you because I'm a physician and a scientist looking specifically at people who feel hooked and don't understand how to unhook. And I've got the science. And the first step is education. And I'm glad we brought up your other book too, because if you don't mind, I'd love to ask you a question that has just boggled my mind about the connection between stress and body fat. Like, you know, we, we, we get it. We know that we understand cortisol. We understand that the body holds on to body fat when we're under stress. How do we explain those people who, when they're under stress, they do the opposite and they start to wither away. And you're like, what, what, what's going on? You know, you notice that they've lost a lot of weight and they'll say, well, I'm, I'm just under so much stress. Why is it one person blows up and another person starts to wither away? That's because what we have is in the stress center in mm-hmm. the brain, the limbic center, mm-hmm. what we actually have are two different responses. I could, I could take anyone on this planet and I can cut off your eating right now. All I have to do is hit you at the right level of stress and trauma. Mm. So what was interesting is when 9-11 happened in the United States, um, there was this incredible phenomenon of people just not eating. Why? Because of the level of horror that took place that day. It just literally takes your appetite away. Why? Because, Because the master hormone of stress 
the master hormone of stress in the hypothalamus of the brain, that's the top part of the brain, ended up increasing to such high levels that it cut off all eating. And that is a survival thing. For instance, if you were being chased down an alley by someone with a gun, trust me, the last thing on your mind is, do you mind if I stop and eat the <laughs> Snickers bar? You know, it's not happening. Right. What's happening is like, oh my God, I'm out of here. And then the last thing on your mind is, is appetite. Appetite mm. is gone. The survival is where it's at. Well, that's when, interesting. The, what, we, what we know is certain people who under stress, their appetite cuts off. Other people overeat to soothe. This is completely wired in the brain. For mm-hmm. instance, as a last point, what we found in our studies with anorexia nervosa, that people who have that level of caloric restriction have the highest levels of stress hormone we've ever measured in the cerebral spinal fluid of wow. the master hormone. They, they're just wired that way. Mm. They're wired that way. Wow, this is so fascinating. I, I think it's also fascinating the brain and, and for all of us to understand that there's so much more at work to know that there are experts out there who will help us understand these things. Understanding is the first step. Educate yourself. Go to Dr. Peak's website, take the quiz, buy all three books because they also relate and they're so fascinating. And this is how we help ourselves, not by following new rules or new fad, but by understanding what's going on. Dr. Peek, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for your wisdom. Thank you. And you're most welcome. And we're helping people out there in our own special ways. Yeah. Thank you so much. This episode has been sponsored by CourageousConfidenceClub.com. It's a club that I've created specifically to help people who struggle with confidence and insecurities and social settings and and just standing up for themselves, being yourself and feeling good about it. All of us could benefit from having more confidence. I'd love for you to just experience a taste of it. So please be my guest by going to shaleenjohnson.com forward slash confidence tips. Now, if you don't feel like writing that web address down or remembering to go there later, all you have to do is while you're listening from your phone, send me a text message. The number is 949-565-4337. And that is for U.S. residents. Then just send me the word confidence and I will send you access to this video. This video will help you to eliminate self-doubt and just feel more confident in any situation, whether it's work or personal or just your social interactions. Every one of us can benefit from having more confidence. There you'll submit your email address and I will immediately send to your inbox my latest training video where I teach you step-by-step how to feel more confident in just about any social setting. I think you'll find this incredibly useful, whether it's business or personal or just in your everyday interactions. Confidence is something that makes life easier. It helps you to raise more confident, self-efficient children. It allows us to speak our mind, to stand up for ourselves, to do the things that otherwise we are paralyzed by fear, and we just allow our own thoughts to stop us. By learning how to overcome self-doubt and fear of success, you can become that confident person that others are attracted to. The person you want to be, the person you deserve to be, the person you know is inside of you. So thank you for checking out my free tools by going to shaleenjohnson.com forward slash confidence tips.